Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy Shop, and with me today, as always, are my co-host, JJ Nathan. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Well, ho- hello there. And we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it along. We also have a Patreon account, and we only have one level right now. We're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfectfirstlayer. So, JJ, what do you have going on in the shop right now, or your lab? I've been finally working on the Ender 5 S1 review. Should be posted later today as of us recording this, uh, as soon as I can get a thumbnail made. Um, so doing that, then reviewing more printers and hopefully getting back to the long form videos soon. Yeah. So tell us, tell us what you think about the, uh, the Creality Ender 5 The Ender 5 S1 is overpriced. I think is most of my review is it's overpriced and not very good. It's not better than a $300 printer and they're selling it at twice the price. All right. That's, that's fair enough, I guess. We all have one. I know. Uh Yeah. um, They they put a box frame on it, but they're still using V-slot wheels, still using a Cartesian motion system. And so it should be $400. You know, I I think they could justify the price maybe if they put linear rails on it um, for one thing and, uh, you know, had Clipper pre-installed on it. If they took yeah. that beeper off of it, the uh, every time you press a button, <laughs> I have a whole section on that of how annoying that is. Yeah, it took me a while. It took me a while to find it to get rid of it. Oh, you cut it off? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I think it was really a machine designed to be run on Clipper, and then they didn't ship it with Clipper, so it's like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> so you have to you have to put a hundred dollars into it just to put it on put Clipper on there in order to unlock the the benefits that you get from the stiffer frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but they really want you to buy the Sonic pad for 160 bucks. Wow. That's how much that is. That's crazy. Yeah. It's 159. I believe. Dang. I, I may be mistaken. <laughs> I have been mistaken before. When I'm all you really need is a, I mean, if raspberry Pis were MSRP, you could get a Pi zero for $15. Yeah. And, but but much are Raspberry Pi is going for these days? Oh, way too much. <laughs> like 150 bucks. Oh my, 150, yeah. $160 on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's insane. And there's so many alternatives that you can mm-hmm. you can have. The nice thing about the Raspberry Pi is that it's the the software that you download for it is very well uh, polished and documented. Mm-hmm. And it's and the com- community around it. Yeah. 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 It's huge. So a lot of the, 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 I don't want to say knockoffs, but the other single board computers, they're very similar, but they don't have the same type of IO and their GPIO pins are different too, is the other thing you have to watch out for. Just because it works on one thing doesn't mean it works on another. So what do you got going on, Nathan? What are you breaking um, this week? I'm wrapping up my King Rune KP3S Pro review. It's a pretty fun printer. Uh, it, it really 
is one of those small printers that's just fun to use and build and work on. So I'm, I'm curious what JJ's mods have done to it. Um, I'm going to be probably upgrading it a little bit in the future, probably putting a whole new tool head on there just to make it as light as possible and then clippering it up. So it's a fun little machine. I'll probably be able to recommend it pretty highly. Is it, is it direct drive? It has a, um, a Titan extruder, which is a direct drive single sided, uh, uh, extruder. So it should be able to print quite a bit faster than all the other competitors in that size range. I still think my Ender 2 S1, which is a made-up printer that I made, is basically the Ender 2 Pro with a Sprite extruder on there. I think that'll be able to print faster, but that's a pretty expensive upgrade. And with the KP3S, you're actually getting a pretty large build area. So it's basically like a medium-sized printer. Um, It's 200 by 200, whereas the Ender 3 is 220 by 220. So you're only a little bit smaller, but it's got a much smaller footprint. It's easier to work on everything. And they've got linear rails. So despite it being one of the cheapest printers that I've reviewed, it has linear rails. And it's like the first printer that I've reviewed with linear rails. So it's just an interesting machine. Isn't it selling for like around 250 270 or something like that? I think it's like uh, in the low 200s. Yeah. 200 to 220 Okay. So. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. The yeah. extruder in mind, that was the only issue I had. Or the only thing that I probably could upgrade from the base is the extruder could be something a little bit better and that the um, the whole hot end assembly could be changed. But So the whole tool head? Yeah, the tool head. Yeah, I'm going to pop the whole tool, tool head off and replace it. I did have a couple little issues with the quality. So like I couldn't get it printing out of the box because the way they assembled the belt, there's like a piece sticking down that was preventing the nozzle from actually touching the print bed mm-hmm. and uh just the, small things like that yeah i mean <laughs> it, it would throw a beginner for a, a run around a little bit and it mm. took me a, a, a few looks to figure out what was going on with it but overall it's a i still think it's a great machine it's just not the best out of the box experience for me but your your mileage may vary i think i think i'm gonna i've been, I've been looking at it a little bit here and there I think I'm going to pick one up. Okay. I'm going to try, idea. I'm going to try anyways. Yeah. I just have to convince my wife I need another 3D printer. <laughs> well, it's small enough. You just throw it in a cabinet and uh, don't tell anyone about it. Oh, no, no. She knows everything that goes on. <laughs> yeah. Because if, because if I'm messing around with that, that means I'm not working on the honeydew list. And she'll come and say, oh, what, what, what are you doing? This needs to be done. This has been sitting here for two weeks. You got to get it done now. Okay. Okay. I've kind of figured out the the magic to it. I'll I'll work on something she wants for like a morning on Saturday, and then she'll go take a nap at like one o'clock, and then I screw around with stuff I'm not supposed to be doing. (laughs) So, but it does work out well. I've got uh, I finally finished my Voron. It's completely done and tuned and everything else, and it works really really well. Uh, I'm surprised at how fast it is. Um, I can print a Benchy in like 30 minutes, just at standard settings, mm-hmm. which is pretty yeah. fast. And it's pretty good quality. I think it still lacks on the cooling. Yes. It needs a little the, help. The V0 has, that was my biggest issue of the cooling. What, what did you do to 
fix it or have you fixed it? I haven't really fixed it. It's just I can't print as fast as it could. It can move way faster mm-hmm. than I can print. Yeah, I've heard it was it was optimized around printing ABS, which doesn't require as much part cooling. So they went with really small fans. They're like the 3010 30 blower fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is two fans. of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're, they're, I have they're, seen, they're seen some wild. big uh, external mounted fans yeah. that blow across the build plate. Um, that's one thing I've seen for 24-7 printing. Yeah. He's done some cool things for speed printing on that. Yeah, yeah I've been kind of getting into the speed printing rabbit hole, and I uh, watched this pretty long video about um, stepper motors and like how different windings can affect the top speed and the maximum torque and different voltages affect everything. So it's actually quite a, there's quite a bit to it. Like if you want to get your printer to go as fast as possible, you need to pick the right stepper motors and the right drivers. Um, I've been content with just getting whatever comes with the printer and using it. But if you want to get like insane speeds, you got to start looking into this whole world of stepper motor specification. Yeah, I know on some of the boards now they have a separate input for like 48 volts mm-hmm. and you have to set a jumper on the board for the, for the stepper drivers. And I don't know if the regular stepper drivers even work, if you have to get different ones or not. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Some of them work at 48 volts and some of them aren't specced for that. Well, much the, voltage. The, the most prolific, I like the 2209s. Do those... Yeah, I think those aren't, good for up to 48 volts you have to get the 5506 or something it's a bigger number than 2209 (laughs) yeah it's a 2248 for 48 volts (laughs) but um yeah i i don't know why you would have to get i just because i don't know i don't know what i don't know um why the a stopper motor with higher voltage can go faster yeah, it takes a while to explain, but basically if you take a motor and you spin it, like you put a crank on the output and you just rotate it by hand, the faster you spin it, the higher the voltage it'll generate. So if you think about that in reverse, the higher voltage you generate, the higher voltage you feed to the motor, the, the faster it'll be able to spin it. Yeah, but don't so the, you kind of run out of steam essentially. Don't the 24 volts motors have enough speed? Well, I mean, it just depends if uh, or something. It, it just depends on whether, you know, 480 millimeters per second is fast enough for you or if you want to go to like 2000 millimeters per second. <laughs> um, also, the torque on it of if you increase the voltage, you increase the torque. So the ability sense. for it right. to stop and reverse. It's better at that. So. Okay, that makes sense. Right. So sense. the video that I watched was from Eddie, the engineer. Yeah. How fast can your printer go? Stepper motor 101 is a really great video and he's got all sorts of charts and slides and stuff. So if you're into that and want to do a deep dive, I'd really recommend checking that out. Yeah. I've, I've watched a couple of his videos and I enjoy them. However, he does talk over my head a little bit, <laughs> right? Um, which is fine. I, I know I'm not the, the, the sharpest tack in the drawer. But uh, I understand most of it, not all of it. 
And they start getting into like theory and this and that. It's like, ah, just, just give me the <laughs> when the equations come out, yeah, just give me the yeah. mechanics of it, and I'm and I'm good. And I can understand yeah. it. So. I'm a graph person, so if I can see a graph or a chart of what's going on, then I, I can understand it pretty quickly. And he he fills his slideshows with plenty of graphs and charts, so <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have a couple questions this week. Thank you, Jim and Aaron. The first one is from Jim from Nashville, and it says, Hey, guys, I'm wanting to build a Voron 2.4 from the Fizatech kit, and I have always questioned that the printed parts need to be ABS. If I'm not going to use an enclosure or print ABS, do I need to print the parts in ABS? How about a general discussion of the three main types of filament, PLA, PETG, and ABS? I have an under three that's pretty modified, but I've never been able to print ABS successfully. Jim from Nashville. I think this is a good question because I know like on the the, the Prusas, that all that stuff's printed in PEC-G. Right. And uh, Rat Rig, some of their kits ask you to print them in PETG as well. Really? Really? Yeah. So does Jim have to print the stuff in ABS? What's the benefit if he if he's not going to enclose it? I guess the question is, what's the benefit of printing ABS over, let's say, PETG or PLA? Um, I think Nathan might have a good answer for this, but um, I have heard, I think this is right, that PLA um, will deform over time under stress. Like it's not a good long term, purely just the stresses of like pressure being on it, it can deform. So that's why people recommend ABS, but I'm not sure about the PETG. I'm not as familiar with those properties. Yeah. So um, basically all materials will have a creep um, stress. So if you're loading it above a certain level of stress, then it'll slowly creep over time. And it'll like, even though it's strong enough to withstand those forces, like you can hit it with a hammer or whatever, and it'll stay together. If you just put that hammer stress on it over like a year, when you come back in a year, everything will be kind of squished and deformed in weird ways. And I'm sure you've seen this in woodworking before with, with uh, like houses and stuff where if you look at a really old house, like some of the old, old things will be kind of bent like beams and stuff or maybe not. Yeah, that's that's just the foundation sinking. Yeah. So you can have the foundation sinking and then like you can have a... a piece of wood that was cut perfectly square when it came out of the mill. And then you take a look at it and it's like, Oh, it's not perfectly square anymore. There's a lot of things that can cause yeah. the shrinking. That's, and that's, that's a whole nother topic. I don't think we <laughs> want to get into that. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I've, like I said, I've, I've always questioned that because like I said, I've, I've got a Pfizer tech Prusa clone and it's all printed in Petchy and I haven't had any problems with it. Yeah. So the, the big things that can affect creep or cause it to happen are um, if you have elevated temperatures, then it's easier for materials to creep. If you have high stresses, then it's easier for materials to creep. And over long time spans, it's easier for it to start creeping. So um, the nice thing about metal parts, which is why I pretty much always use metal parts for whenever possible, is they are basically immune to creep. So, you know, you can load it up and come back in 10 years and everything's going to be the, exactly the same. Um, 
One another example of creep that we're all familiar with, if you've used an under three, is the wheels will develop those little flat spots. Those flat spots don't form instantly. It's only after you've tightened things up, you leave it there for like a week, and then you come back and it's like, oh, there's a flat spot. Maybe I tightened it too much. So yeah, that's uh, it's something that happens with all plastics, and depending on the plastic, it might work better or worse in different uh, conditions. Yeah. So it sounds like ABS, not only because of the, the properties that it doesn't deform with the heat is there's less creep in it. Yeah. Is that and, uh, it's more rigid or more, fl- or just flexible or I, so, I, I, listen, I don't understand any of this stuff. Explain it to me. Yeah. So creep, um, is, is separate from its actual strength. So if you look at the tensile strength of PLA and ABS, you'll find that PLA is actually stronger than ABS. But if you were to put some load on it, like you put a heavy weight on a block of PLA and a heavy weight on a block of ABS, over time you'd probably see the PLA would start to squish around that load um, and kind of have a permanent indentation left in it. Um, and I guess kind of uh, anecdotal evidence that ABS is pretty good at handling stresses over long time periods is Legos are made out of ABS. So with Legos, when you snap them together, you have some, like, you, you put a lot of stress into those blocks because you're kind of like deforming it and it's having to squeeze on to the different parts of the Legos. Then you can pop them apart later and they, they can, they'll work just fine. So, I mean, I haven't looked at the actual numbers and material properties, but I would assume ABS probably is better in terms of creep. Yeah, I, I guess the, the question on my mind when I hear this is that ABS is like this ultimate material. So why don't we print everything in ABS? Is it just because of the difficulty of printing, JJ? I'm pretty sure it's difficulty of uh, most printers can't handle it. And so you need an enclosure and PLA is so easy to print on any printer really. Um, But ABS isn't the ultimate material because it's so difficult to print. I think. What if, what if it was easy, as easy to print as PLA, would you print everything in ABS then? Then there's the, the smell and chemical side of it of, uh, ABS releases some not wonderful chemicals mm-hmm. <laughs> while you're printing it uh, versus PLA is a little bit less bad, I think. Um, so that's why I don't print much with ABS unless when I need to for a high temperature for printing your boron, printing printer parts. Uh, it's best to go with ABS. Yeah, I've got, I've actually started printing a lot of ABS. Mm, yeah. And it's all on the, the bamboo labs printer, mm. the P1P, but that's in my garage. Yeah. And for an enclosure, I have the box that came in with one side <laughs> cut off, actually two sides cut off of it. I just you like, put a hinge on there too. So you, you know, have a... I just slide it over it. And uh, I mean, like today, I mean, it's 30 degrees out today and I was printing something this morning. You know, I opened up the garage door, came in and out, closed it, and the print came out fine. 
So I've been having no, pro the only problem I have with it is sometimes prints don't stick to the PEI bed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem real sticky to that. So, yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know what the tricks are for getting ABS to stick. Uh, I haven't printed enough with it. But um, yeah, I think ABS is a little bit weaker than PLA at room temperature. And it's also lighter. So that can be a big advantage for a lot of mm -hmm. applications too. Mm -hmm. it, it, PLA is pretty dense. What about, I know this is maybe getting off topic, but on a lot of this stuff, why don't you just use like a resin printer? Is that right? Possible? Well, yeah, resin is usually, most people complain that it's pretty brittle. And also uh, any UV cure, um, any UV cure resin will be sensitive to UV light. So if you put it outside, it'll continue to cure and get more and more brittle and eventually it'll just like fall apart. Uh, I, I don't know about you, and I, I don't mean to be a smart ass, <laughs> but I don't put my printers outside. Right. So, but I wonder how much that would affect, like, but if it was near a window, even. Yeah, it, that's true. You know, a year near a window could, you know, do some degradation. Yeah, I, I know <clears throat> when dealing with furniture made out of wood, <laughs> UV light really affects the, the color and tone of wood over time. Like, you know, cherry turns darker, walnut turns lighter. I mean, there's a, a whole science to it that has to do with the, the, the acids in the wood and how they react to UV light. Anyways, another subject we don't want to start talking about on this podcast. So what, what do you print mostly in, Nathan? PLA? Yeah, I print pretty much everything in PLA, but PLA is really limited in terms of the temperature range it can handle. So that's the main reason to not print in PLA. Like if you just dip a PLA print into boiling water or even just hot water, it'll completely turn soft. Um, and you can like just squish it in, in your hands. So it's like a very low melting point in glass transition temperature. So that's what makes it so convenient to print. But at the same time, you're not going to use it for any applications above room temperature even like in a hot day or a hot car um, in environments that a human could handle, your PLA parts will fall apart. What about structurally speaking? Well, it's, it's good structurally unless you're, as long as you're okay with like a hot summer day causing that structure to fall apart. Like, so I wouldn't want to build a tent or a, a chair out of it because, you know, what's the point of having something that's going to destroy itself with just regular temperature and weather conditions from the hot sun and whatever. And it's subject to creep. And the creep. Yeah. I, I think most plastics are subject to creep to some degree. So I, I'd actually, that'd actually be a good thing to do a deeper dive into and see like what the creep properties of all the different plastics are and put them in a, a ranking. Again, Stefan from CNC kitchen has probably <laughs> done a video on that. We'll have to, yeah. we'll have to research it. But if Nathan would do a long-term six months of uh, put a load on a test subject and see how it works or something, that could be really cool. Right. I'm sure data. there's test data out there already. Sure. I just need to look it up because yeah. as fun as it is to build a test rig and sit there watching it for six months, <laughs> um, 
is probably going to be faster and more accurate to go with some official test data. There, there is no way you are patient enough to do that. <laughs> I mean, I'd do some accelerated tests, you know, load it to 10 times and we'll do it in a day instead, but, which is all legitimate ways to speed up a test. So I, I know I just talked about it before, but my, my uh, Prusa clone, when I printed it in PETG, I kind of started printing a lot with Petchy, and I still print mm-hmm. a lot with Petchy. Why? I, and I, I guess what I'm saying, I really don't know why, other than it's what I had available to me, and I just started using it, and I just started reordering it. And Is there any advantage to, to, to PETG over, let's say, PLA? I think PETG has about a 10 degree Celsius higher uh, temperature um, tolerance, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in the real world, that ends up being a pretty huge difference. It's like, what's the difference between a, a 25 degree day and a 35 degree day? It's pretty severely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, PETG will just be better at surviving those higher temperatures. In the example of like boiling water, it, it would hold up a lot better in a situation like that. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's at an important 10 degree difference of PLA is a hot day versus PET G is an insanely hot day <laughs> right. where it would deform. It's kind of like uh, with steel, if like if you had a steel uh, knife or whatever that could withstand another 10 degrees Celsius, it's like, what's the difference between 710 and 720 degrees? It's yeah. not going to make that big of a difference, but <laughs> the difference between 60 degrees and 70 degrees ends up having some real world benefits. Yeah. But I can definitely sympathize with, with Jim from uh, Nashville because mm-hmm. when I when I built my, my Voron Zero, even printing the parts out for that took a long time and it was kind of a mm-hmm. pain in the butt. And when you, you look at like a, a 2.4, there is a ton of parts that have to be printed. Mm-hmm. And I know there's companies you can buy, you know, like the, the, the parts already printed. And there's actually some on AliExpress that have, you know, aluminum CNC parts, very expensive, but they, they do have those. I just always question the, the accuracy of those things. Right. Yeah. Um, so the other thing with, um, with these Vorons, you can buy like parts kits and they end up costing like 60 or $70 for just the ABS parts that are printed out. And it's like, why don't we just get an injection mold at that point and just injection mold them out? And they could be a lot cheaper. I think they, I think they sell those though. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are some people who sell. Yeah, you can get all that, and you can get anything at AliExpress. <laughs> just you may have to wait for it. Uh, uh, just some of that stuff I don't trust. JJ, um, I feel like with the with the ABS going back to the for printing your Voron parts. Um, I feel like it was a great experience for me going through getting it working. And then in the end, you really feel like that Voron is yours because you struggled through those ABS prints. Um, And for me, a big thing that worked was getting a different spool of ABS. The first spool I was using was like an old one that like when I first started printing, I accidentally ordered the wrong material and was like, oh, this is so hard. Um, But then I ordered a fresh spool from paramount 3d was just one that worked for me um and so maybe a different company will be easier than 
an older spool you may have laying around. Um, and then using the cardboard box trick on top of my Anycubic Mega S to try to get some sort of enclosure on there. Um, Just also have a bucket of water, a fire extinguisher on hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay around it. Stay nearby. I mean, what's the chance of a catching fire? Pretty low. Pretty low. It depends on the brand. Of the cardboard? Of the printer. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I still have, you know, now I'm going to talk about woodworking for a second. Just a second. It's actually about tools. I think that's why a guy likes the Bamboo Lab printer, because it's named after a tree. <laughs> Actually, well, anyways. so It's not a tree. It's not a tree. <laughs> anyways, so every time, you know, and, and I do it on the, the YouTube videos, every time I have to, like, change bits or change blades, you always have to make a point in the video of saying, I'm unplugging the tool to change the blade. And it's like... If you don't do that, you'll get 5,000 comments of, oh, you're so dangerous, you're going to get your finger cut off. So it's kind of like the, the, the printers, I see the same thing. Disconnect the power. It's like, why? Is this thing going to spontaneously turn on? I, I just, I have never understood that. And to this day, yeah. if the camera is not on me, I never unplug anything. Ever. <laughs> do you got- turn the power flip the switch off i turned the power off okay yeah that's a disconnect yeah. so as long yeah. as you do that oh, it's, it's, regular, the same. it's just a power switch i uh-huh. just turn yeah. it off i don't care when i'm doing electrical in the house i don't go to the fuse box and start flipping breakers i just turn the damn switch off hit it with a tester oh, okay there's no power i can yeah. grab it mm-hmm. so so you have your tester around i always, I always love using that of yeah. uh double check I know we got real. I got really into the weeds on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So no, that wasn't that many weeds. So you want to get ready? You want to do the next question? Sure. I think we're uh, we're ready. Yeah. Okay. This is a bonus question that's not on the sheet. Ooh. This is a right. question from guy from Indianapolis. I think <laughs> I know him. He's saying I recently printed out Nathan's El Pablo fan duct. For the Ender 5S1. All right. Why did you name it the El Pablo? Uh, well, it's named after Pablo Picasso and his uh, weird asymmetric face style. So when I was taking the Ender 5S1 apart to design my own version of the fan duct, I noticed that there is not a single ounce of symmetry in that whole tool carriage like everything's off by like five millimeters this way one millimeter that way so um there was really no rhyme or reason and to work around that i had to design a very asymmetrical fan duct so uh, jj has said that the tool head is kind of like the face of your printer so it's got this weird face with like you know things coming off at weird angles the perspective's all wrong from one side to the other so that's why I think it was kind of like a, a work of Pablo Picasso. You could have, I think more appropriate would have been a Salvador Dali. El Salvador. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to have to have a um, art history <laughs> podcast because I don't know enough about Dali. I don't know a lot about it. That's the guy that did like the melting clock thing. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyways, that was the bonus question. 
Now on to a real question. Aaron from Boston. He says, I really want to print fast like Nathan. I don't think I print fast. I just print with a high volumetric flow rate. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I have an Ender 3 S1 Pro, and I think one of the things that I'm having trouble with is the parts cooling fan. It's pretty small and seems to have trouble whenever I kick the speed up a notch in Marlin. How important is having powerful parts cooling fans? And how about for the different types of filament? JJ? That's, that's a good question. Sorry. I was looking up the <laughs> I was reading through the question. We, we caught him red-handed. Yeah. yeah uh, parts cooling fans are great. <laughs> My bad. Park cooling fans are super important when you start pushing to the higher speeds, um, especially for small prints, I've found. Uh, If you can print a large object, if you're printing large objects, park cooling fan is less important because it has more time to cool down before the nozzle gets back around to lay that next layer down. But especially on something small like the Voron uh, V0, if you have a small build volume uh, and you're going to be, the nozzle will come back right around you got to have some good part cooling fans on there. I would, you know, to, to me, it's kind of counterintuitive because you would think you'd want the hot plastic melding with the hot plastic layer underneath to give it strength, correct? Yeah, I think there's a trade-off between speed and strength, which I really want to investigate more with some data, but I'm, I'm too lazy and busy at the same time right now. So I know uh, we'll have to wait for Yeah. I feel like the, the hot layer you're laying down seems to grip well enough, you know, like I'm, I'm not sure you might be losing out a little bit of uh, that high end strength. Yeah. I think you end up losing about 50% of the tensile strength. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've seen, I mean, we bring up CNC kitchen mm-hmm. a lot, but you've seen his videos where he'll do the test hooks at different angles. Mm-hmm. And usually it's about a 50% drop in strength um, between layers versus along the layer. And uh, that's pretty much entirely due to the, the, the bonding from layer to layer. And um, like when you do injection molding, it's the same strength in all directions because it's all perfect you know it's all melted and it's all solidifying together yeah it doesn't doesn't have any grain yeah Yeah. and you don't have like those those uh layers where it's just a weak point essentially but i wonder how much of the any strength you lose you could increase by adding another wall layer to it Um, right yeah you can always get more strength back by doubling the uh thickness in that direction um, but then you get into this kind of, uh, mystical area of crack propagation with mechanical properties. So those layers are going to act as like little areas for a crack to start forming, and then it'll break apart more easily, which is especially apparent under fatigue loading. So if you're, if you've got a chair that someone's sitting in a thousand times, there might, a crack might form that'll slowly grow until the chair breaks. Versus if it's a single use item, then you don't have to worry about that quite as much. So but you you do have a Ender 5 or Ender 3 S1, do, do you not, Nathan? Yeah, unfortunately, I have, I have, 
Unfortunately, I have all the unders. <laughs> <laughs> How do you find that parts cooling fan on there? Is it adequate? No, I think all of the enders ship with parts cooling fans that are insufficient. So basically the first mod that I'll do when I get a new ender is I'll redesign the, the part cooling solution. Um, especially with the new Sprite hot end that they came out with, they upgraded the the actual extruder and now their printers can go, can ex export like four to five times more plastic but what's the point in doing that if you're not also going to increase your part cooling by four or five times? So they're actually using the exact same part cooling fan from their earlier printers, which is too now it's too small for um, what they're doing. So I would really recommend upgrading to a 5015 blower fan or a dual 5015 blower fan, and uh, that'll definitely help you solidify your layers quick, more quickly. But touching on what JJ was talking about earlier, with uh, larger prints, it's less important to have a, uh, a serious part cooling fan. And if you're printing small stuff and you find that your part cooling is insufficient, you can actually just decrease your print speeds to like a quarter speed, mm -hmm. which it becomes painful to wait for it to watch print that slow. But it'll get the job done, and it'll have more than enough time for everything to cool off properly. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron wants to print fast, though. He doesn't want to print slower. Now, I right. know we talked about this just a, a few minutes ago, but and we've talked about it on, previous on the podcast, too. Um, ABS and ABS, I mean, the parts cooling fan doesn't even really come on for most prints. Correct. Right. Yeah, I and haven't in, printed a whole pet G. It it's really slow too. It's like thirty to fifty percent speed. Yeah. So um, ABS is so sensitive to any kind of draft that comes by that they actually have designed entire hot ends to prevent the the fan that cools off the heatsink from accidentally blowing onto the part that you're printing. Yeah, you think if the, the tool head's moving like really fast, it's going to create error and, you know, move things Yeah, it might, it might actually do that a little bit. But there's a lot of uh, variance with ABS part cooling because it is so sensitive of slightly too much and you get the print curling off your bed, but then not enough and you still will get droopy overhangs, so... I've had a lot of, a lot of tuning of part cooling fan, which is a weird thing to tune. Usually, with a with PLA, it's just 100% part cooling, but with ABS, I've had some weird tunings. Yeah, they, there's been some discussion in my Discord. They were talking about um, the newest release of Prusa Slicer has mm -hmm. a overhang based fan setting, so now you can set it so that if you're printing an overhang, then it'll spin the fans up. And then when you go back to printing the rest of the model, it'll turn the fan back off. And that's they said that's useful for ABS. Right. Mm. Uh, on your, your Ender 3S1, I remember watching the video on that. You were talking about how it looks better if it's spun around backwards. Did, did you create another uh, fan shroud for that? Yeah, so I made a... Uh, you can check the models that I've made. I actually have a mod where you completely rotate the fan 
you completely rotate the hot end 180 degrees, and that brings the nozzle up close to where you can see it. And then I also designed the fan duct to be further away from the nozzle so you can get really good visibility into what you're printing, which I think that's one of the fun parts of printing is just watching it lay the plastic down. And with a lot of hot end designs, they kind of block everything that's happening with, Mm -hmm. you know, the stepper motors in the way and the fans are in the way. So you just kind of have to trust that it's doing what it's supposed to. But just watching things, you get a lot of insight on how the the printer actually works and like some ideas of how to improve your printing uh, processes. So visibility is really important. Yeah. And I know that that fan on the Ender 3S1, it's like right in front, isn't it? like at an angle it looks really weird it looks half done like it looks like they're half designed and this is the prototype they're shipping out yeah yeah it kind of it's like they've got multiple people working on it and then one person's like okay i'm done i'm not changing anything you just design (laughs) around it like i've seen that in uh other engineering practices and it's just you end up with really discongruous looking products that's a big word. I, I don't think I've, I've been able to work that into any conversation in probably 30 years. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I will get back to studying my dictionary as soon as this podcast ends. <laughs> um, but th- this kind of brings up another issue that I think is important with 3D printers. And I think what a lot of people are make, basing their buying decisions off of now is just spec sheets. It's like, what has the biggest print area? Which one says it prints the fastest? Which one says it does these materials? But um, there's a lot of intangibles that don't show up on a spec sheet and don't get talked about all that much that I think are really important. Like with this Kingrune KP3S, it, there's nowhere on the spec sheet that says it's easy to work on. But anything that you need to change on that machine, you just flip it over, you know, you pick it up, you can tip it on its side and get to where you need to work on things in under a second versus with these larger printers now and ones that have panels that are covering everything up. If you want to inspect something on the main board, it can take you like 30 minutes just to get access to it because you got to clear off your workspace and then tip it over and hope it doesn't damage anything or scratch up its own panels or your table. Um, Versus these small printers, it's just like super fun to work on them. And the other one that uh, we were just talking about is visibility, like being able to see what the printer's doing. I think that adds a lot to the printing experience, but it's something that isn't really captured on a data sheet, and it might not be something that um, manufacturers even care about. Yeah. And I feel like a, a big part of that, with my impression, I was impressed with the King Rune with how much their website, they have little articles on, if you want to add BL Touch, this is how you do it. If you want to install Clipper, here's how you do it. And here's our GitHub where there's a config file to put Clipper on here. And just like so many tutorials they had or upgrade parts they were selling for their own printer that you don't really see from other companies, them like trying to help you out. Yeah. 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 I know probably the the best example that I I mentioned on the last podcast is uh, Big Tree Tech. Mm-hmm. Their their GitHub is so complete. I mean, it's got everything on it. It's very impressive. Um, yeah. Anyway, their documentation for like a new board you buy, yeah. where there it's a forty or fifty page document stepping you through 
all the parts and how to install it in different ways. And yep, every yeah. single circuit. So when you eventually plug something in wrong, you have no one to blame <laughs> but yourself for not reading. Oh, that never happens. Yeah. <laughs> Never, never, never. It's so, only 50 page, Nathan. You didn't read all of those? <laughs> a, 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 another question from Guy in Indianapolis. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address the 800-pound the gorilla in the room, which is Creality. So what, from an engineer's perspective, both of you guys are engineers, what are they doing wrong? Where are they? What, what do you think in their process is not making the, the, the grade on this stuff? What, what do you think is happening? Where is there a disconnect? Because it always sounds like the engineers do one thing, the product designers are doing another, and there's three different people making a decision on one thing, and they can't seem to really get together on it. Is that just me? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of their product line is just like one long run on sentence. Like, like they never, like I, like I just did. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but you know, they started with the under three and then they made the under three pro and the under three V two and the under three S one and the under three S one pro. Now the under five S one. And it's like, they're carrying over ideas from the past that they really should just drop. Like at a certain point, it makes sense to just cut everything and do a new clean slate design. And that's one area where Bamboo Lab has had a huge advantage. They're starting from scratch. So they don't have like an old mainboard architecture that they're stuck with or like um, an old, you know, motion system that they want to use on their next product. They're, They're starting with like zero and being like, what's the best way to solve this problem? Versus Creality, I feel like they're like, okay, how can we turn this into that? And it ends up being kind of like a compromised design because of that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just rigid thinking. We're, we're locked inside this little box where we have to build it this way and use the tooling and the parts we already have just to create something from parts we're, we're already producing instead of starting just from ground level i think that's a problem with a lot of stuff i think a lot of that's the complacency of profits that like they're still making profits and so put out a new ender 3 because ender 3 is such a popular name and using all the old boards saves a lot of money versus a new company is really incentive or a newer company trying to break into that ender 3 market is trying to one-up them versus Creality is just trying to limp along with the next cheap printer. They can yeah, make. I think a lot of that stuff is marketing too, uh-huh. because it's a, it's a lot easier to market a new printer or a new model than mm-hmm. it is to market one that's, you know, four or five years old. Right. Like for me, I would think that the Ender 3, the Ender 3 Pro and the Ender 3 V2 should have all been confined to the same product line. And, you know, when you make, it's like when you update to the new version, you stop making the old one and you keep the same price or maybe bump the price up a little bit. Kind of like how car companies will do their model year releases. But you don't keep selling the old one that's like clearly inferior technology. Um, But you can still buy an Ender 3, like the original one that's like 
not, clearly not that good of a purchase at this point in time. Is, there's other companies that are guilty of this too, like you know certain ones that start with a P. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I still think you know you look at something like the Ender Three. It's sometimes you can get it for like 150 bucks. The community behind that is just huge. So you buy one of those printers and you can do a lot of mods for next to nothing and actually get it working. So if you want to tinker with something, that's actually a good base to tinker on because you're not getting anything you really don't need or are going to replace because it's so stripped down. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I just can't stand anything under the V2 because the Ender 3 V2 because those loud stepper drivers never going back. Yeah, that's, that's I guess that that is a good point. All right. But are they swappable on the old board? Cuz if they're swappable, that's a $20. Oh, they're soldered on. Yeah. Then yeah. you're stuck. Yeah, you're stuck. But still, I mean yeah, there's a there's a lot of printers out there for two hundred bucks that have thirty two bit main boards. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot of the like the price difference between um, the Ender Three Pro, uh, like the Ender Three and the Ender Three S. Uh, sorry, the Ender Three and the Ender Three V Two. There's so many of them; it's hard to keep track. Yeah. What so, about the Ender Three V Two Neo? <laughs> right now they've got that man. I haven't even gotten into those yet. Um, but when you go from the Ender 3 to the Ender 3 V2, they pretty much doubled the price. And the actual cost to produce those printers did not double. It might have gone up like a little bit to make the V2. So it's it's like a pure marketing exercise and you know how you can justify how you can sell people upsell people on new features and charge a lot more for just giving them a little more. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of it's decided by marketing, which, uh, I mean, that's just the way the world works. Like we're not going to be able to produce some engineering company that just is always giving everyone the best stuff. Yeah. They probably go out of business. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it may sound like we're picking on Creality, but I really don't think we are. I think they're, they're just the most, uh, prevalent in the market. So all the stuff they do is kind of amplified and we notice it more than the smaller companies. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Biggest market share gets the biggest criticism, I think. Yeah. And yeah. should get. But you, know, you brought Bamboo Labs before. I've, I've been seeing a lot of videos popping up on YouTube where people are, are having problems, a lot of problems with this, that, and the other thing. Um, have you guys seen any of those? Well, I've made a couple of them. <laughs> the first Bamboo Lab printer I got, I was just like, eh, I mean, the print quality is okay. I mean, I didn't really go into detail on, on my first video because I hadn't heard anyone else complain about it. And I assumed that it was, it was just needed to break in a little bit. But then I started printing some bigger stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is clearly some inferior print quality. Like, it's worse than my old Ender 3 V2s by a long shot. So they're going to send me a new... Uh, printer and I'll be able to benchmark that and see hmm. how that performs compared to the, the first one that I got. Yeah. But I mean, that's just the problem with all this. Nobody really cares about building things the right way anymore. It seems like, I mean, when I 
produce something, I want to like, if I'm selling it to someone, I want to make sure everything's as good as it can possibly be. And I've covered all the bases in terms of doing quality checks and making sure that it's going to work right out of the box. But like, it seems like the standard in the 3D printing industry is to put it, pump as many of them out there as you can. And if there's issues, then deal with them as they come up. But it, it like, what do you think the actual ratio of good to bad printers is in, in the world altogether? I bet like one in four printers is shipping out with some major issue that even the most basic quality control would have caught and made someone's experience way better. Uh, I, I think it's a lot less than that. Yeah, Wonderful. I would, I would say it's a lot less than that. But <laughs> Okay, how many, how many good to how many bad do you think? I bet, I bet uh, if I had a guess, I'd say about yeah. maybe one in a thousand have hmm, a yeah. really huge problem. Okay. Like one in a hundred to one in a thousand. And it's also the, the amount of price that goes into quality control per that hundred or thousand printers. Wait, just to clarify, you're saying one in a thousand is bad. Yeah. Where it's gotta be like, it, it's DOA. It's totally unusable out of the box. Right. I'm also counting like stuff like with my King rune, the belt was sticking out too far and it wouldn't print unless I fixed that. So I had to cut a new belt out and yeah. put so it on So the belt there. was hitting the print as it moves across? Yeah, it was hitting the print bed so I couldn't, it would never be able to print a first layer. Yeah. And yeah. and like with you, you had your uh, your Flying Bear Ghost 6 that had yeah, a had SD, SD card. card. was damaged right, right on arrival. Yeah. So how many printers, if you just follow the instructions and you put it together, would actually work like without any kind of like major adjustments or part replacements. I think, I think it's real realistically, I think it's like 25% aren't going to work. Perfectly out of the box. That's a, that, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't have the yeah. data on it. I'm just, the data, yeah. yeah. And we all have such some small sample sizes. Um, yeah. Nobody's sending us, a hundred printers to do <laughs> statistical analysis on. Ask Creality to send you a thousand yeah. or threes. <laughs> you, you can get the information firsthand. All right. Yeah. All right. So, but yeah. That was a pretty good conversation, guys. I, was, I like that. So, remember, we really need questions and participation from the listeners. So, make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and ask us. Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where you can be found at? Well, I'm just over on YouTube. Uh, look up Nathan Builds Robots, and I'll be there. All right. JJ? You can find me at YouTube at JJ Shankles. That's where you'll find me. All right. And I can be found at uh, Guy's Woodshop on YouTube or just about any social media platform. All right, guys. Thanks, and we will uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks. See you. Bye.